Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we have a short intro today because we had a great and a little bit long conversation with Chad Finn of the Boston Globe. Chad is basically Boston's sports media writer. He's also an online columnist for the Globe and Boston.com. Been at the Globe since 2003, and we tackle two topics. Number one, reasons for optimism. Yes, optimism about the Patriots this upcoming season. Look, it's been a downer of an offseason between free agency and the draft. Coaching staff, we all get it. We've talked about it in this pod. I've talked about it on TV and radio. Enough for a second. Okay, it's summertime. It's a happy time. If the Patriots are going to exceed expectations this season, why might that be? Chad and I hit that for about 20 to 30 minutes. He was really good on that. The second part, we got a little meta. We were talking about the state of Patriots coverage, something that has kind of piqued my interest for a couple of different reasons. And some were as basic as, you know, in light of that offseason, which we just hit on, has coverage of the Patriots become too negative? Has it swung too far in one way or perhaps too positive? Uh, in terms of is there too much faith in Bill Belichick now without Tom Brady? So Chad, having not only just an outside perspective as someone who's not on the beat in, in a day-to-day as I am, I thought could lend a helpful eye, but also as someone whose job it is to judge, assess, and write about sports media. So some other topics we cover, just the NFL generally in the time of Zoom, how that's affected, how the Patriot storytelling has changed without Tom Brady. Because look, and you'll hear me say this in the middle of our conversation, honestly, later than I should have, you know, I feel very strongly that the Patriots beat is the biggest and best in the NFL. And I know a little bit about all the other major markets, but when you look at just the depth and the talent and the, let's just put it in football terms, versatility of this group, Karen Garigian, Tom Curran, Mike Reese, Phil Perry, Jim McBride, Chris Mason, Mark Daniels, Zach Cox, Henry McKenna, Greg Bedard, Nicole Yang, Evan Lazar, Alex Barth, Matt Dolloff, Kyrie Thompson now and Ben Bolin when he's not doing national stuff. Like, just forget about it. That is as deep a roster of beat writers and information from film to big picture to some features to some, of course, hard reporting. You're going to find matching anywhere else in the NFL and maybe even in pro sports. But, of course, we're not perfect. How could things be better? Because I'm not going to have a whole lot of things critical to say about people that make me better every single day with the way that they work and kind of keep you on your toes and how often I start my day looking at this, you know, column in my tweet deck of just everyone that I just mentioned and seeing a story idea that someone had and executed and going, damn it, why, why didn't I have that? And so how much of my feeling about the beat, this Chad share, how have things changed since Brady left in light of Zoom? What could we be doing better? What um, more positive negatives I mentioned? Just, just really sinking into that because you know, we got time. It's late May. So let's get meta 
in May. Two things before we get to Chad, though, I want to hit on quickly. Uh, the Patriots had their first OTAs practice available to reporters on Monday. I got sunburned, as you can see if you're watching this on YouTube. Beyond that, honestly, kind of uneventful. You know, the, the play caller question is going to linger for months. It was the first thing I wrote in my recap, which you can find on the bostonherald.com, about how practice went. Mac Jones was sharp. A couple key guys missing from defense and Matt Judon um, and Adrian Phillips. And that's about it. You know, if you had to write how you think a practice would go in May or even maybe the first few days of training camp, that's how it looked. It was fine. It was good to have football back, but that's all about you can really take away as much as we all want to sink into the, the details and, and, and everything that happened in practice. No pads, no hitting. Is It's just going to take some time before we learn anything. And I think that also goes for the play calling question. Just as I wrote, again, on Monday night, came out in Tuesday's paper, I don't think Bill Belichick knows exactly who's going to call plays yet. And I think we have to keep in mind this is someone who is very willing and often prefers to let situations play out before making a decision. We've seen him do this famously in the Seattle Super Bowl. Patience is a strength of his. He cares not for awkwardness, any sort of fan anxiety, pestering questions from the media. He's going to do what he thinks is best and take as much time as he can. When it comes to the play caller, I think this is going to go into September. Now, if they had to play a game tomorrow, yeah, they'd be prepared to eat picks on He could do it. I think Joe Judge would be second, then Matt Patricia third, most likely. But this is all guessing, and all we're going to have is guessing until, again, I think, until September. Last thing, a story dropped this morning just when this podcast episode came out, Wednesday the 25th, as did a story I wrote about Ross Douglas. Ross Douglas is a new co-wide receivers coach for the Patriots along with Troy Brown. What's interesting about Ross Douglas well, he's the youngest assistant in the entire NFL, the youngest position coach, someone running his own room at 27, about 27 and a half years old. In the process of determining whether Ross Douglas was the youngest position coach in the NFL, um, I had to go through all of the other coaching staffs. And there was a lot of notes that I had that had nothing to do with Ross that they didn't make the story, but it's the kind of information you either save for a podcast or Twitter. To save anyone from just a totally inane string of tweets, couple of things that I thought were fun about the rest of the league, because these were things I didn't know until I went through literally every single team's coaching staff. Um, the Patriots famously have a small staff. You know who has a smaller staff? And I think the only other smaller staff in the league, Pittsburgh with the Steelers. Brian Flores, of course, in Pittsburgh, as some people know. You might not know is that Brian Greasy is now in San Francisco. He went from the Monday night booth last year with ESPN. They reshuffle as they do seemingly every two to three years, and he lands coaching quarterbacks for the 49ers. You know who's also coaching quarterbacks? Matt Nagy. We all know got fired by the Bears, miserable tenure there. He's back in Kansas City with old boss Andy Reid. As far as ex-players go, it's interesting because we talk about the Patriots and a lot of other teams kind of taking about the personality of their head coach. Dan Campbell, famously ex-player, wants to bite off kneecaps in Detroit. His entire staff is almost entirely ex-players. And you've got Aaron Glenn, new defensive coordinator, along on the offensive side. Mark Brunel is their quarterback's coach. Um, speaking of ex-players, Larry Izzo, Patriots, special teams legend. He's running the special teams out in Seattle. Down in Philly, they have maybe the youngest staff in the NFL. There were two guys who gave Ross Douglas a run for his money. Um, one, a 28-year-old linebackers coach, and then a 30-year-old special teams coordinator who started last year, Michael Clay. So credit to the Eagles. They seem to know how to farm out these young coaches and develop them as well as players, um, or maybe not. We'll have to see how the second season go. Last other couple of notes, super old staff in Dallas. Again, kind of teams taking on the identity of their head coach. This time it's not so much Mike McCarthy. It's more Jerry Jones 
is of course going to be big name, big everything. You got Dan Quinn down there. Of course, I mentioned Mike McCarthy. If you go down, you're going to recognize more names on that list, I think, than any other staff in the league aside from the Patriots. Um, and then lastly, really, it's been a lot about quarterback coaches. There are multiple Kubiaks coaching quarterbacks in the NFL, not named Gary. I didn't bother to go find out if these are his sons, most likely, or cousin or nephew, whatever. Um, but a lot of Kubiaks out there coaching quarterbacks for what is now really a league based a lot in the Shanahan offenses. So that's it. Um, one last thing, of course, as we go, before we get to Chad Finn covering reasons for optimism about the Patriots and the state of Patriots media coverage, bet online. Still, your number one source for all betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, updated on to the NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Celtics still alive, fights, and even season futures as baseball continues to go on. And eventually, of course, the NFL is going to come back around. If you have a good feeling about the Patriots, good or bad, there's money there for you to seize. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino and poker game. So it's super easy to get started. You've heard me say this before, and if you haven't done it, you're missing out. The promo code is easy, CLNS50. CLNS50 gets you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit at betonline.ag. BetOnline, where the game starts. Chad Finn, meanwhile, starts right now. The pride of Maine, Chad Finn, online columnist and sports media columnist for the Boston Globe dating back to 2003. Uh, Chad, honestly, I'm glad I found those titles shortly before you got on here because I was just going to say columnist generally at the Globe. I feel like that would have been throwing at a dartboard with just a big bullseye because I don't know how many columnists you have at the Globe, but um, you've been in that position for a while and I appreciate you coming up. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Yeah, it's uh, I've been covering media since 2009, which was uh, right when the second sports radio station launched and uh, uh, roughly the same time um, NBC Sports Boston launched. So uh, I got the beat like two weeks before it blew up. So <laughs> pretty lucky there. And then, yeah, I've been I've been the online columnist for about uh, uh, for the globe and since 2010, somewhere around there. And uh, um you know, they used me, started using me in print a lot more a couple of years ago. So kind of a dream come true as somebody who grew up reading the Boston papers. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see that occasion. They do a nice job too. And this is a very small thing that no one cares about, which is exactly how you want to start a podcast, but the illustrations, you know, you and, and Tara <laughs> and Gasper and everyone else, you all look so good there, which isn't to say you don't look good now, but I just they gave me way more out. hair than I deserve. That's for sure. <laughs> they would give yeah. you a nice head of hair. Yeah, man, I could use it. Yeah, I still have my old uh, press pass photo from just before we went. Uh, you know, we we stuck with the BIC for a while. And uh, believe me, I'm holding out of that as long as I can. Though NBC Sports Boston asked me to change over. Like, do you have an updated headshot? It was one of these like, you know, this is this is not the one we can really use anymore from 2019. I said, yeah, sure, we can make it work. Um, you said the second sports radio station. I got to ask you, that's not like a, we can say 98.5, the sports hub on here. There's There's no like taboo for you. There's no I'm trying to avoid. Same oh no no coach. not at all just uh <laughs> i guess the way i still think about where wei was here forever um but they switched to sports around 1990 and uh had dominance in the market mm -hmm. uh for a long time and then the sports hub came along and i think it was august 2009 and um you know within a ratings period or two they had caught and surpassed wei they, they had a big advantage in that, uh, well, the one advantage that they had was that they were on FM and WEI was still on AM at that point. And then 
uh, EEI finally switched over to FM. They probably should have done it a decade earlier and things might've gone a little bit differently. So, and they've been battling back and forth, although it's a little bit lopsided the last few years. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. My girl Mego's on uh, two to six now. And um, we're doing a great job. Yeah, I agree. They had me on the other day. So I, I kind of have to say that now in my first podcast episode <laughs> since then. Um, but all right. All right. So this podcast, as I mentioned, the open, it's about two things. First of which is the positivity that has been lacking from the offseason. And look, deservedly so when it comes to the Patriots. The offseason has not been kind to fans. Hopes were dashing for agency. Disappointment was taken in the first, second, seemingly every round after that in the draft. The coaching staff is a weird patched mess. <laughs> but I get I get to practice on Monday, Chad. And I got to tell you, it's, you know, I'm thinking about all these different things about who's calling plays. And can Malcolm Butler still run as Devontae Parker heard already? Did Mac lose weight? Am I also in the best shape of my life? And you sit down and it's just 70 degrees. It's sunny. And we have football for the first time in four months. So all of that kind of washes away with the help of some sudden sunburns, as everyone can see in my forehead. But like <laughs> there's room for positivity in this offseason. So look, even as someone who I think is going to see the Patriots struggle to lock up a wild card spot, there's some good to take out of this. And I thought you would be good from a fan perspective because you also write so well from that of kind of, you know, the tribal chief, as it were, of this is how we should feel and why. And not telling fans how to, but explaining where I don't have a whole lot of room for how fans should feel about this, except for on podcast. So I'm ready with my positivity. And the, the first thing I put in the rundown I sent to you is the number one thing the Patriots detractors miss or undervalue about this 2022 team is what? Well, that, I, I like that question a lot. Um, one of the things that jumps out to me, I think, is the, they're pretty diverse on offense. Uh, it, we spent so much time in the offseason talking about uh, they didn't get a top wide receiver. They didn't trade up in the draft to get one in the first round. Uh, you know, they spent a second round pick on one, but uh, not a, not certainly not a big name or an expected choice in Thornton. And um, you know, didn't didn't go out and uh, get uh, you know Hollywood Brown or, or AJ Brown or anybody uh, who, who Debo Samuel who really would have moved the needle here. Um, and it felt like a letdown, I think, to a lot of fans, understandably. But if you step back and take a look at the roster, the offensive roster, they got things to figure out for sure. Offensive line still, um, you know, with, with the you know Shag Mason gone and. Uh, just uh, some things to sort out there, but um, I think they have pretty high caliber players, even though they're not stars. I really like Kendrick Bourne. I thought he brought a lot last year and, and probably will bring a little bit more in year two. Um, Hunter Henry was basically exactly what you expected. He was kind of to the Patriots uh, statistically what Dawson Knox was to the bills. Um, I think you can expect that uh, they're going to have a really versatile running game. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson in season two, Damian Hunt, uh, Damian Harris playing for a contract, James White maybe being back at some point, uh, plus the draft capital they spent there. Uh, and you're, you're going to see uh, other guys contribute, whether it's Devontae Parker, who Patriots fans have seen play well before, for sure, against them, or uh, Nelson Aguilar's uh, used better in season two, or just Mac Jones has improved because uh, clearly he's in better shape. He certainly knows much more now than he did at this point last season. And um, I think that's been kind of lost that they they could have a pretty darn good offense. Uh, it's been lost because they didn't bring in that, uh, you know, name in the marquee lights that maybe people were hoping for. Yeah, I like I like that you touched on a lot of things there in terms of diversity to the offense, because the way I've been thinking about it this offseason is 
season is the Patriots have a plan B now, right? Like their plan going into last year, we have a rookie quarterback. We're going to lean on the run and we might spread you out for a quarter or two, but if, if that plan doesn't work or we're going to go with a fullback, we can't ask our rookie quarterback to drag us back. And it's also not only just because of Mac Jones, but just the weapons around him. You know, they had Kendrick Bourne playing, you know, coming off of COVID and didn't practice for a whole week going into a pivotal game against the Tennessee Titans said, yeah, come on and play. You haven't practiced all week, but we need you because you could think about that, that depth chart without him was Jacoby Myers. Who doesn't scare anyone does a fine job in the slot. Nelson Aguilar, who's playing peekaboo on a given Sunday, whether he's going to show up or not. And that was about it. So at least now if Devonte Parker gets hurt, you know, you can still go deep with an Aguilar or a Tyquan Thornton or work the middle with Hunter Henry and John Luke Smith. And none of these guys are going to scare you, but inevitably with all the pressure, the Patriots are lightly putting on defenses across the board. You're going to find a soft spot because of that depth and diversity of the talent that they have now. Yeah. From what I understand, we don't know who's calling the plays. That seems to be a bit of an issue here too, but. Uh, We're saying positive, Chad. Positive. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, losing Josh McDaniels, just the institutional knowledge. Um, of what he has of their system and, and uh, what he has of, of Mac Jones from season one and uh, where he really needs to improve and, and uh, where he's working to improve and his relationship with Bill Belichick, all these things, uh, that, that is a blow, L- losing somebody just uh, who's been so ingrained in your system and, and shaped it for so long. But uh, I think any notion that uh, they're going into this blind because uh, Belichick might be involved, Joe Judge, Matt Patricia, however it shakes out with the titles, if it shakes out with the titles, uh, it, it's not like Belichick is going to be, um, you know, uh, just completely dismissive of what needs to happen to, to get Mac Jones on the offense to take another step forward this year. And uh, the other thing tied to that is, I think people are underestimating that Mac Jones could take a leap forward. He's, he's yeah. probably not going to be a top five quarterback in the conference because it's so deep in talent right now. But uh, there's a sense, and I think you get it a lot from listening to sports radio, that uh, he is what he is, that he's a physically limited player who uh, isn't going to get better from what he was as a, a rookie. And that's just silly. He knows more. He's clearly worked to get his body in better shape. There are ways to increase his arm strength. Tom Brady's arm now is better than it was 20 years ago. Um, so there are uh, there are a lot of ways he can improve. And he's clearly showing that he's somebody who's going to put in every aspect of work to get better at this job. He's got the uh, the proper obsession with being a great NFL quarterback. Uh, I, I'm really encouraged about what he's going to be. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought Mac up because that's the answer to my own question about what people miss. And this goes more, not miss, obviously people expect him to be better. It's a matter of degrees, but undervalued. Like if Mm -hmm. a quarterback is better, as we saw for years with Tom Brady and all the varying different rosters he had here, he can paper over a lot of holes on that team. And I think could this season, if you just look back to how they finished when Mac was really at his worst, understandably run down as a rookie coming off of a long season in Alabama, the draft process, training camp battle, and then of course, 13 games. If they start a little faster at Indy or at home against Buffalo or in Miami in that finale, they're probably winning one or two of those games. And that means you're winning the division and at home to start the playoffs. I'm not saying the Bills don't win, but those are the margins we're talking about where you can expect him to not be as run down at the end of this season now in his second year. And I think when you look at the other weapons, he's going to be able to check into more plays and different plays and the trust that McDaniels, as much as he loved this kid who was as pro ready as anyone, we said that before he got to be a Patriot. You know, there's pro ready as a rookie, and then there's being in year two. And you look at the leap, even for guys who have changed play callers, 
it's been a significant leap since 2018 for four out of the five guys who have a new offensive coordinator. They got better anyway. And I think that is going to be something to monitor because the team is probably going to go as far as Matt can take them. Yeah. I mean, it's knowledge. The game slows down for you a little bit uh, in that season too. And if you just you think back to where we were a year ago, I would say the vast majority Andrew, of people in the media with us were saying, oh, Cam Newton's going to be the starting quarterback. And almost saying that with uh, very little doubt that they might be wrong because they were bringing in fifth quarterback drafted, uh, again, supposedly limited in his athletic ability. And he is, but he makes up for it in other ways. Right. Um, and somebody who you just couldn't really envision at that point uh, taking over the starting job and seizing it the way that he did to the point that, uh, you know, past the halfway point in the season, they're in that number one seed and everybody around uh, the NFL is saying, Oh my God, Belichick's done it again. The Patriots are, are going to be in this mix. And yeah, they fell off a cliff, but the, I, I I'm not with the people who think the cliff defines how that season was and is going to define, uh, more importantly, how this season is, is going to go. Uh, it was a learning process with a rookie quarterback who overall did a hell of a job a, a, as a rookie, especially compared to what expectations were. And I, I, I think that should buy him a lot of leeway with the, with the fan base and the media going into year two. Definitely. And I think that the trouble is, of course, is that that free fall after the bye week, you're talking finishing one and four, didn't yeah. stop when you lost 47 to 17 at Buffalo because <laughs> it kept going with the loss of Josh McDaniels. And then you go to free agency and all the things we talked about, but let's stop there with the coaching question, because I think whether you, you believe in Mac making your year two leap to paper over a lot of problems, like I mentioned, or the diversity of the talent on offense to carry this team, the, the one thing or the first counter someone would have is going, well, how is that going to help when Joe judge or Matt Patricia is calling the plays? And I think it's a legitimate question. My thing about how this coaching question could resolve again positively here in late May um, is just that, again, something I just hit on. Four out of five quarterbacks who who started as rookies and then changed coordinators going into year two got better anyway. Like there's generally seen as the Patriots having an above average level of coaching on offense and defense. And that's what helps them. That gives them an edge on Sunday. They win the close games because of that coaching. If the Patriots just come down to an average level of coaching, which might not happen with judge and Patricia, you're on an even playing field. And I think Mac can still elevate above that anyway and carry you on his own. Um, or of course, as we saw on Monday, Bill Belichick just might call plays. And this is something I don't think he knows, but if he does call plays, that's a net positive for fans. I think so, too. It's funny. I've heard from people saying, well, Bill's been a defensive coach his whole life. Well, first of all, he's as immersed in every aspect of football down to the minutiae as anybody who's ever lived. You know, yes. it's not like he's going to uh, look at the offensive playbook and say, you know, what the hell is this? I have no idea what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> this is a guy who, uh, you know, 30, 30 plus years ago now came up with the, the we always cite this, but the game plan against uh, Jim Kelly and the Kagan Bills in the Super Bowl that you can go find in the Hall of Fame in Canton if you want to look at it. Um, it's just, uh, he, he sure, technically, he's never had the title of offensive coach. Um, but you know, in these last 22 years of the Patriots, that uh, he's been deeply involved when he's needed to be to the point of uh, probably overruling McDaniels or, or uh, Bill O'Brien or Charlie Weiss or whoever it had to be at certain points in time. So uh, if Bill's really involved there, I think that's a good thing. Uh, Patricia and Judge are obviously wild cards. Uh, Bill thinks highly of both of them, obviously. And uh, 
for whatever faults they had as head coaches, and both of them failed pretty spectacularly. Um, they're also really well-regarded coaches here. I know uh, Patricia can be difficult for people to deal with sometimes, and, and Judge was just a special teams coach, but um, uh, the regard they hold in the building in terms of their ability to uh, uh, teach a position or, or get the best out of players, it, uh, it's a positive with Belichick, and uh, I'm going to trust his opinion over anybody else's. Right. And you know what? He has his blind spots, as we all do when it comes to sure, hiring yeah. people or, or, or evaluating them in roles. But let's say also, you know, Belichick doesn't call plays or Mac makes a small year two leap and not the big one that I've been alluding to. The offensive coordinator position also just might be split in two. They might say, hey, Matt, Patricia, you become our run game coordinator, as you see so often in the college ranks and sometimes in the pros. Joe Judge, you take the passing aspect of that. So you're not asking either one of them to step in this gigantic, pivotal, crucial role that encompasses the entire offense. You play to their strengths as a guy who's going to be handling the offensive line. And Matt Patricia played it in college, started there on the coaching side. And Joe Judge, who reportedly was going to step in for McDaniels the first time and McDaniels is going to Indy and has worked with the wide receivers before. Again, they might not be these schematic geniuses that the Patriots need to provide those edges on game days. But if you put them in roles that are a little bit smaller than the OC and they're able to combine on that and incorporate Nick Cayley, the tight end coach, who was my number one loser of the offseason, just getting passed over for all these different <laughs> roles. You know, it, it is a collective, which the Patriots have been trying to sell and to some degree garbage, like they're going to have specific roles. But I think that is the best way probably to draw the most out of Judge and Patricia is to elevate them a little bit as far as the offense, but they're ultimately splitting the, the offensive coordinator role if that's what Bill chooses to do. Yeah, you know, the funny thing here is it, Belichick could stem a lot of the talk about this if he just gave kind of a simple explanation. You know, well, you know, it, I, I just think dividing it up at this point in time and having them coach to their particular strengths is the way to go. We'll see how it shakes out over these next couple of months. But uh, to me, this makes the most sense. And I've been doing this in the, this league since 1975. So uh, screw you if you don't, <laughs> you don't want to listen to me. But, uh, you know, you, I mean, we know how it is he, he gets uh i guess kind of defensive about it i don't know if that's the word uh maybe just not interested in discussing the topic is more of it but uh and so these things tend to snowball into bigger deals than they should be and the, the, the questions get more question marks tacked on to the end the longer it goes but um it, it's not like he's neglecting uh you know uh what his, uh, what the job is going to be, what the requirements are and uh, what is necessary to help Mac Jones and the offense succeed. So I guess we got to hang on with the mystery here and see how it shakes out, but uh, uh, there really shouldn't be any, any legitimate concern that uh, about whether or not he knows what he's doing here. Yeah. He, he gets the gravity of the situation, right? Because he knows how much Andy Reed gives him problems versus, you know, anyone who has called plays for the jets for the last 20 years offensively <laughs> like that. That's the difference in his headaches on Sundays and often winning or losing. So he's going to try to put as much pressure on opposing defenses as possible. But I think we'll also see some adjustments to the scheme. And I've heard, I mentioned on EI on Monday, some rumblings about they might be simplifying the offense. And there was some evidence, honestly, it was one OTA practice. The Patriots changed when the media was available to see practice on Monday versus later this week, which could have been intentional. All is to say, take this with a grain of salt. But there was some evidence that the, the system is changing to be a little bit simpler this offseason, which doesn't mean it needs to be worse. You're just always trying to find that balance between unpredictable and sticking to what we're good at. But moving from the sideline of the field, um, let's name some breakout candidates. This is going to be something we all do in July before training camp, training camp preview, all our beat writers. I want to get ahead of this. May. I got two guys 
And you can pick either one to start and then offer your two. Josh Uche is someone who received as much hype as anyone last summer. <laughs> it's and the I annual just, Josh Uche breakout. Yep, yep, yeah. The old year three leap, as we say. But I just, I can't get the idea out of my head of the damage he did to the Giants, who had one of the worst offensive lines, but in joint practices for back-to-back days, and then gets a sack or two in those first couple of games last season, gets hurt and disappears. And this is also backed up by the fact that I talked to a scout a couple of weeks ago who said, can you just tell me what the hell they're doing with him? Because we loved him coming out of the draft. They left ahead of us to go get him and just haven't used him that way. My other guys, Ramondre Stevenson, easy year two leap. I think he's more naturally talented than Damian Harris, who runs in a style that I think is going to sideline him for a couple of games. You love that physicality, but Stevenson has a little bit more wiggle. Like this dude's feet are so light that I wrote last year. I think he's going to just levitate for a couple yards down the field at some point. <laughs> And it didn't happen, but I think you're going to start to see that gap between their talent and their kind of, you know, make or miss, um, you know, breaking tackle ability, I should say, more as the season goes on. So I'm with Uche and Stevenson. Who appears, appeals more to you? Oh, boy, I love both those guys. I mean, Uche's funny because uh, he pops when he's on the field, too. Yeah. For, you, you look, you'll see him, uh, you know, get after the quarterback, hypothetically, and, and look extremely fast coming around the corner, and then – you go and look at the snap counts later on and he had eight. You know? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, uh, and at the points of time where, you know, Winovich last year kind of fell out of the picture and uh, there, there were points in time where they were looking for pass rush. Uh, you know, Judon was so great for three quarters of the season, but there were times where he could have used a little bit more speed out there. Um, and he didn't really get the opportunity that always kind of bewildered me. I, I figured it was an edge setting thing or him not knowing exactly who was supposed to be at a level that they wanted, because uh, when you saw the physical ability, he looked like a pretty, pretty good NFL player and uh, somebody who could uh, help them in an area where you're always looking for help. So yeah, he would be up there. Um, Stevenson, somebody who'd be up there for me too. Uh, he just, he's really fun to watch run. You know, the, I hate comparing anybody to Marshawn Lynch because Marshawn Lynch mm. is so uh, distinctive and such a cool character on top of it, but, um, and probably see Seattle should have given him the ball at the goal line, but, um, <laughs> you have to say that, but, yes. uh, you can see it. His, his running style is very similar. It's like a little Tasmanian devil there when he gets into the open field, uh, and, and, uh, I can see him having a great year. The other guy is somebody who was pretty good already last year. We've already talked about it. I feel like Bourne's got another level to go to that. Um, he seemed to make plays when they really needed them last year. Uh, and there were other times where they just kind of forgot about him. And uh, I feel like if there's more of an emphasis to get him the ball, he can be a, a really, really productive player in this offense. He reminds me, Reminds me of a combination of the guys Brady had in the early years of the dynasty. There's a little bit of David Patton there. There's a little bit of David Givens with the way he's competitive for the ball. And uh, a lot of Dion Branch, uh, probably a little bit a little bit quicker than Dion. But, um, you know, Dion had that incredible ability to get open in the middle of the field. And and Bourne, you know, is a little bit more run after the catch kind of guy. But uh, I remember I was really impressed with him last year. And, and he's got such a big personality, too. I think he could be somebody who's really popular with the, the fans this season. Yeah, I would say arguably more popular with the media. <laughs> yeah, will say gold mine, huh? What's his, on his mind all the time. And I like that Givens patent blend, honestly, a little bit more than the Dion branch, because I think you've got the size of Givens right, but there's a little bit more wiggle there, as I was just talking about with Stevenson, where they're handing him off on jet sweeps and getting him around. Yeah. And a lot of his underlying numbers coming into free agency uh, two marches ago, you know, in terms of his separation, his expected yards after the catch versus what he actually got, 
you know, we're really, really good. I think they started to tap into that. And I think you're right. As someone who gets more comfortable in the system, he, he I think he definitely has another level to get to. Yeah, I was just picturing the Dallas play uh, against Diggs there where the, the seas parted and he's, mm. you know, gone. I mean, that wasn't his typical play by any means, but um, just a fun guy to watch when he got the ball in his hands. And uh, I feel like there's probably going to be a little bit more emphasis this season on doing that than they, they had last year. Definitely. All right. Zooming out, we've done players, we've done coaches, we've done Mac Jones. The Patriots will be better than expected if or because this happens. What's your what's your overall answer? Uh, they solved the middle of the uh, defense, I think. You know, so much question about what the linebacker situation looks like. And I think it's a little bit exaggerated. I mean, it's a team that plays Duggar and McCourty and, um, you know, uh, uh, Phillips and the, you technically call them safeties. but um, it's not like you've got four or five linebackers on the field these days, you know? So uh, the, 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 the desperation there isn't uh, quite to the level of what um, the people doing the five biggest Patriots flaws are, are doing as they, they put linebacker at number one, or we're frustrated that they didn't pick a linebacker at uh, in the, uh, you know, first round or in the draft. And, um, so it's a, it's about an emergence of a guy like Uche on the outside or Kim McGrone or if Ronnie Perkins gives them something. I think clearly the uh, talent evaluators in Belichick with this team have seen things we haven't, that they've seen things with some of the younger, Raekwon McMillan, you know, veteran guy who was hurt last year. Um, they know things about the guys that we really haven't seen that, that give them an indication that, that they're going to be able to help. And uh, I was, I would have liked to seen them to bring in a, a veteran, uh, you know, speedier guy there. They were really slow toward the end of the year. Hightower really struggled and Collins didn't do much. And, yep. uh, you know, Van Noy, they moved him out as well, but, um, I would like to see them, uh, uh, just get, uh, see how that shakes out. I think it's probably going to be a better situation than, than uh, most people feel like right now. Yeah, I've got two reasons. One is an if, and the other is, is because. So the Patriots will be better if they hit again on this draft class. Because I think what happened oh, in 2019, yep, in 2020, and I wrote about this at the time, and you can go back and look, it, that was when their bad draft classes from 16, 17, 18, and 19 finally caught up to them. Like that's yeah. the only way in craft to sit on this to effectively you know, build your roster and Brady papered over again, all of those holes for a long time. And you can make some pick swap trades and get into veterans, but sustainable team building is all about the draft. They completely whiffed as one of the 10 worst drafting teams in that stretch started to turn a corner. Maybe again, depending on our guy, Josh Uche in 2020, obviously hit a home run in 2021. I think Cole strange. And we saw this on Monday is going to start a left guard. What does Saquon Thornton do? I don't know. And then you got Marcus Jones and Jack Jones and everyone else in day three is going to be a crapshoot. If those guys can make an impact, this team is going to be better because now you have the pipeline of young cost control talent starting to offset your veteran losses and guys who've just missed on a free agency or in the previous drafts. Now they will be better because they just have a high floor again. And this was my argument for them last year of going, okay, oh, if they have Ken Newton or if it's a quarterback, what's going to happen? Can they still make the playoffs? Yes. The way they're built. And we've seen this for so many times, they are just going to wait you out and wait for you to implode. And they did that largely in their, their winning streak in the middle of the year. But you look at the last five games again, and we've harped on this a lot. Aside from the Buffalo beatdown, you have block punts in Indianapolis. You have penalties at the wrong time, scrums oh, yeah. against the Bills at home. Those things I don't think are going to repeat themselves because the larger sample of Bill Belichick coach teams tells us 
They don't do dumb shit. So I think if you eliminate that and the holes in special teams get plugged, where this could even be an average special teams unit, Marcus Jones, who I just mentioned, this dude is going to be a dynamo on punt return and kick return if he can hold down with the ball. Those just elevate your floor a little bit. And then the close games prevent you from dropping them in key spots, which they did last year. But for so many other years before that, partly because of Brady and partly because of not, they won those games. And I think they're just going to be able to wait out more teams that whether it's the Vikings or the Dolphins or maybe even the Raiders or the Cardinals are close to them in talent. But they tend to win out because they're going to avoid the mistakes in the third and fourth quarter that they just happened to make last year. Yeah, that was probably the most jarring thing last season and the most uncharacteristic was the the special teams mistakes recurring uh, because those are things that didn't happen over and over again with the Patriots uh, the past 20 years. It made me wonder about like, uh, you know, Cam Accord and his uh, his role in the pitch uh, on the staff. And I remember Belichick berating him on the sideline once and just thinking, good Lord, I'd love to be able to hear that conversation right now. But yeah. Um, yeah, you've, uh, the, the one thing you can almost always count on with, with the Belichick team is they're going to repair their problems somewhere along the way. And uh, if they didn't get it done during the season last year with those sorts of things, you, you can be 99% certain they did in the offseason. Yeah, they're, they're the NFL's best problem solvers. This goes on offense, defense, special teams. I think special teams will just get better. You know, again, knowing the issues that you had um, and then defensively, look, they started to pivot and play a lot more zone starting week five and six. And that helped buoy them for as long as it could when inevitably they just lost a talent battle there uh, with Buffalo. All right. So last zoom out and then we'll pivot um, to talking about coverage. The Patriots ceiling. We painted a very rosy picture. We understand there are reasons not to. For me personally, I I think it's the divisional round. It's hard for me to put them in that final four where I think they could spring an upset of maybe it's the Chargers or the Chiefs or the Bills or I think the Raiders are going to be, or excuse me, the Ravens are going to be a lot better this year. But I just don't think you can win two and win two likely on the road to get to the AFC Championship game. Does that count as progress, you know, around further? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think. I do too. I I don't know if it's tolerable for the... uh, the fan base that is, say, 33 years old or younger, who, um, when they're about 10 years old, they they uh, were introduced to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and got used to a certain level of success. And somewhere along the way, uh, completely lost track of what life is really like in the NFL. And, and uh, I mean, it's, it's what they did was not unlikely. It was unprecedented, and it's not going to be matched again. And uh, it... It, 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 it takes a lot to climb back to that level to win one Super Bowl, to get to a Super Bowl uh, is an achievement. Um, I think we knew that for a long time as Patriots fans. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm much older than you are. And I remember 85 when they finally beat the Dolphins and, and got to the Super Bowl and got stomped by the Bears. But just the anticipation and the thrill of that happening, of them getting there. And then again in 96, oh, my God, they might win the Super Bowl. Somewhere along the way, that dulled because you got so used to it. And uh, hopefully people come back to the pack a little bit here and, and, and realize, oh, yeah, it, it, is a, it is an achievement to get deep into the playoffs and to keep building toward winning a championship. And, you know, hopefully more from there. But um, this is a process. And I think if they got that far and I, I'm I'm with you, I think that's uh, uh, reasonable and possible and probably their ceiling this year um that's good that's progress that means mac jones had a good year that some of the young guys really 
stood out that uh, roster moves that Bill made, uh, at least a few of them panned out and they're trending the right way. And you have, you'd have a lot to feel good about, even if the end of the season wasn't something you felt great about. So um, yeah, I think that, I think that's a reasonable outcome. And I think it would be a, can have to be considered a successful one, uh, you know, given, given uh, how they're not rebuilding, but uh, trying to reload. Yeah. Retool, reload. Again, that's just yeah. like the branding part of it, you know, which I argued in 2020 rebuilding and tearing things down is all about branding. Are you playing the young kids? Or are you trying to lose? Well, in reality, it's the same thing. It's just about how you yeah. convey that and brand it. But for the Patriots, I think you're right. And I'll, it's speaking to the larger reality of the NFL too, for a second, the, the Jaguars have won a playoff game more recently than the Pittsburgh Steelers. So let that dose of reality kind of sink <laughs> in about expectations about how the Patriots and their success fits into what really is how everyone else experiences football in the league. And I just brought up the Ravens, who I think, again, are going to be much better. John Harbaugh, right next to Mike Tomlin, is among the longest tenured coaches in the NFL after Belichick. He's been to one Super Bowl off the top of my head in 2012, you know, and they came close in some AFC championship games. But that's one of the best run organizations in all of football. And it seems they like they're good every year, even right. though they aren't. One Super Bowl. Yeah. So, and Tomlin's obviously, they, they, you know, won one and they've won two since Belichick took over in terms of Pittsburgh, but it's, it just doesn't happen. And I think we can have arbitrary endpoints of, oh, they haven't won, you know, a playoff game in the last three years. And there's a lot of confounding variables that go into that. And, you know, how much does it count to make the playoffs in 2021 with an expanded field versus earlier? And, you know, who did you play and did you get hurt and blah, blah, blah. But just the, the longer time you give it, the, the easier the truth comes out. And so that could be about the teams or the coaches, the quarterbacks, but I would just say, give it another year. And I think if you advance around further, talk about time and simple truth, that's progress. Like there, there's no arguing that you win one playoff game or get to the divisional round. If they somehow got the number one seed, that's a success for the Patriots in 2022, especially when we're making all these arguments to start the podcast of why they'll be better. Better just means honestly, in Vegas's terms, nine wins, a winning season because yeah. they're over right. under is eight and a half. All right, let's pivot. Uh, because I mentioned that kind of arbitrary endpoint of 2019, the last time that they were, um, well, the last time they won a playoff game was the Super Bowl against the Rams. 2019, they lose in the wild card round, seven to nine in 2020, 2021. 2020, as we know, brought up a very seismic event for the world and the Patriots, um, being the COVID pandemic. The Patriots had a second one, though, when Tom Brady leaving. And what I'm interested to hear from you, Chad, is we talk and kind of zoom out even further, but not specifically about the football team, but the coverage around it, is how you've seen NFL coverage change since the pandemic started. And before we get into the Patriots, where in your, your view, it's kind of headed next year. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, in, a, in a broad sense, it's just more spread out. Um, not talking about the day-to-day beat writers, the columnists or anything like that, but uh, you look at um, the way the games are divided up now. Uh, you've got Amazon coming in on Thursday nights. Uh, you've got uh, Monday Night Football on ESPN with a much better schedule than they usually get. You have uh, Sunday Night Football is, I don't even know the number off the top of my head, but it's around 15 years that they've been the most uh, watch primetime program in the fall that the number one show on television that's not sports and then most most watch game every sunday is usually that 4 30 window on uh fox especially if the dallas cowboys are involved so um for some reason so or the packers so uh it's just there are more um more uh, uh rights holders with with more stake at it and so uh 
it's just uh, it's becoming more and more popular and more and more lucrative for the league. And uh, it's not a consequence of that, but a result of that is you just get more and more coverage of everything than you used to. Uh, the, the, the number one topic there probably is um, probably is uh, uh, how they cover this, the, the schedule release, which would have yeah. been uh, 20 years ago. It would have been two column inches on the agate page in the newspaper of the games in the right order. And now it's this huge event where it leaks out and, you know, people like you uh, have the, Oh, this one's on Thursday night. Uh, uh, and NBC has this one and people eat it up. Fans love it. And the, the, the NFL has figured out uh, a very lucrative way to, to market every little aspect of, um, of the sport. And we have to cover it because our, the, the fans really want it. They want every little aspect covered from the draft to the schedule release to uh, when you actually get around to playing the games. So it's a, it's a year round thing now, as you know. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting to hear your perspective start from a, from a TV standpoint, because I think that's, that's true. And it affects the largest audience, right? Like whether we're media or whether we're fans, where people even inside the league, how do you consume it? Well, you can consume it when it's all around you. And I think it is certainly spread out and will continue to be spread out. The thing that caught my attention in the last two years is because you know, of course, with COVID going around, all of our conversations with players and coaches, for the most part, were just like this. They were via Zoom. So mm -hmm. you had the same storytelling, not only just spread out around you, but also kind of watered down, right? Because we're getting the same quotes and we're having to manufacture the same stories. But the, the conversations like we're having is as if, you know, you had young kids sitting behind you or your boss was overhead. And in this case, the boss of the Patriots players and coaches is Bill Belichick. So they're very buttoned up. And I think the storytelling suffered to a degree. Now, my answer is not to say that's an excuse for why, you know, storytelling and the coverage maybe suffered as it is, is just be better, like work around those Zooms, something that I tried to do. And I know a lot of people on our, our Zoom did, but now we're going back into the locker rooms. And, and it's interesting to me how that dynamic will shift where obviously the relationships with the players will be better. The coach is the same way. You just, there's so much that's unspoken and left, you know, on the table when, you know, you're doing Zoom versus in person. My thinking is that when we look ahead in a couple of years, not only do you have all the coverage around you, I think we'll see a lot more integration of player media where Devin McCourty has his own podcast and has for a while, very yeah. successful. And now you'll have an ability to just talk in person with some of the other reporters and those players might say, hey, come on my podcast. We have a good relationship, whether it's, you know, Devin with Tom Curran or Mike Giardi or someone he's close sure. with. And it because you're just bringing everyone a little bit closer, but the players know I don't necessarily need you to tell my story, which has been a real evolution in, in sports journalism the last 10, 15 years, because I have my own platform, whether it's a podcast or social media, but there's still value in having those relationships. It just might be on a different platform in a different kind of or even playing field as opposed to subject in, in journalists. Yeah, so much of that is just dependent on the personality of the player and, and the mm -hmm. reporter and whether you actually click, uh, you know. Yeah. What one of the, I mean, the best way to build relationships is just to put the notepad away sometimes and, and BS with a guy for a few minutes. So my experience of that is more baseball than football. I covered the Pats pretty regularly for about four or five years, but um, not so much in person the last uh, six or seven years, unless it's a big game as, you know, as a columnist. But um, my sense on that beat was it's what you make of it because um, and and I, I mean that in a good way, um, where writers uh, have a real chance to um, do something distinctive because what the Patriots give you is generally the same thing for everybody. 
you get these players on this day, you get Bill on this conference, uh, this press conference in normal times, not in Zoom times, COVID times, um, you know, at, at this point in the morning. And, um, you you know, you put in your requests for other guys and you have your other relationships that you talk to and you you, you can get little things here and there. But um, they, it, it, I think it pops on the Patriots beat who actually hustles and who is just kind of taking what's handed to them um, because, you uh, I think with probably 31 other NFL teams and, um, you know, across the board and in other sports that I can think of, um, there's generally a lot more flexibility than what the Patriots give you in terms of being a reporter and seeking things out. So you have certain reporters who are really good mining data. You have certain reporters, um, you know, like Karen that you work with mm -hmm. at the Herald, who is uh, really, really good at uh, telling personal stories. You have, um, no, I don't talk about my colleagues too much, but like Jim McBride is really good at getting um, information about injuries and, and transactions and, and that kind of news. And, um, you know, there are other people who are better at the big picture, uh, maybe not just for the Patriots, but how the Patriots fit into the rest of the league. And uh, you, you look around the beat, you know, Tom Curran, uh, Mike Reeser, guys who've been here a long time, they're really different. They're both great at what they yeah. do. Um, they've been covering this dynasty since the beginning, but uh, you never mistake one for the other uh, because of the way they cover the team. You know, Mike's got all the uh, quick hits and, and data and snap counts and uh, context and perspective. And, and Tom tends to think broader um, and, and is really good at callbacks on uh, things he's he's seen with his own eyes along the way in those 20 plus years of covering the team. And, you know, there's obviously is a great sense of humor that comes through in his writing. Uh, and and uh, uh, I, I Everybody thinks I, that uh, you're getting, as a Patriots writer, you're all getting the same stuff. And to a degree, that's true. But the, op the, the, the other end of that is you can really stand out individually if you put a little extra effort in and uh, find a way to go beyond what the, uh, what the team allows you for access and information. Definitely. And I think that, you know, specific to the Patriots, because it's obviously what I've known since I came on the B in 2018, the access they provide is really second to none and at least has been you know, the last two years where we're having 850 some odd zooms in 2021 alone. Was it that many? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Including players, coaches, you know, I, I didn't even get to all of them depending on what it was. And that's, you know, there's part of that is the attention that the team commands. You've been winning this long. You have that much media interest. It's easy to do zooms and you have a large beat to kind of service. Um, but there were teams that did fewer in markets that were, you know, of similar size. So I give them a lot of credit on that front, but of course, you know, they're handcuffed by the idea that, you know, the old line and the departed, the, the general philosophy of, of Bill Belichick, you know, media is going to be, you know, treat them like mushrooms, keep them <laughs> in the dark and feed them shit, you know, and that's, that's understandable. They, they want to preserve their competitive advantage to a degree as much as they can. Some other right. things, whether it's rookie numbers. Even or, as incremental as that might be. What I really want to get he at reads is reads everything. Think, yeah, they, they do. Can, they can, they can consume everything. File. Yeah. Yeah, it goes, it cycles through all their departments, PR, marketing, football operations, they're, they're taking note, is that I think, and I'm curious about your perspective of the tenor of the coverage of the last four or five months, because I started this talking about the pandemic has shifted, we talked about Zoom, Brady was a central figure of a lot of this coverage for 20 years, he's gone, and now there's more room for criticism, because they've gone 18 and 17 without him, and I would say in my mind, because of what you just talked about, this beat is deep, it's talented. It's competitive. Like the 10th best person on this beat could really cut it anywhere. I don't think you could say that for a lot of different leagues. Um, 
but it's become a little bit more negative. And I think that's fair the last four or five months, considering all the things that we just talked about. What do you make of that tenor as it's kind of shifted where the Patriots have to prove it a little bit more before you give them the benefit of the doubt? Or am I, am I off base? No, you're right. A healthy skepticism, I think, is the right tone right now. Um, uh, he let Tom Brady go. And uh, common sense suggests a 44-year-old quarterback uh, <laughs> isn't going to be that good. But he could have been the league MVP last year. He won the Super Bowl the year before. And um, that is a miscalculation at best. Um, again, I think it was understandable. I, I think Tom thought Brady was going to have a uh, Bill thought Brady was going to have sort of a close to a normal aging curve when he drafted Jimmy Garoppolo in 2014. He didn't, but he still expected him like every other quarterback in NFL history, other than, uh, you know, Brett Favre for what, one or two years in his 40 and Warren, Warren Moon for a year or two in his 40s. Uh, everybody else collapsed, um, collapsed into themselves and Brady didn't. And he's the ultimate outlier in that sense. Now, maybe being around Brady for 20 years, Bill should have seen that uh, he might actually be able to uh, at least battle, you know, farther time to a draw there uh, for a couple more years than anybody else has. But it wasn't unreasonable to think that the time was coming to figure out who your successor was going to be for the the 40 plus year old guy. But um, where I get frustrated with the whole with that skepticism is when uh there's an element of reporters. I think it's more national than local, but uh, they've been waiting for this. They've wanted to see Belichick get his comeuppance uh, for one reason or another for a long time. The, the Jets have been waiting for it for since uh, he handed in his note as HC of the NYJ and uh, ended up here in New England. Uh, you know, the, um, the you, you can find a, probably every team that's played against the Patriots these last 20 years more than once probably has some sort of beef or, or wants to see, uh, you know, wants to see this, just this dynasty end and be over for good and build to uh, uh, go off into the sunset and never catch Don Shula and just sort of have a ignominious ending. And um, where I get frustrated with it is when they take things out of context, like they'll, say uh, well he his record is such and such without Tom Brady okay but what were the circumstances go back and look at what happened in Cleveland uh, no one in the history of earth could have won that last season in the Browns with all the chaos that was going around with them when uh, you know word broke Art Modell was uh, taking them to, to Baltimore um, look at uh, what happened when when Brady was suspended and how Garoppolo played and how they stole a win with Brissett. Um, look at the roster in 20, uh, year 2000, which was just a complete debacle. Uh, they were in cap hell, and they had 15 players on that roster at the end of the year that didn't belong in the NFL uh, and turned that around in one year. Um, it, 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 if you're going to criticize Bill um, for what's happened in his career without Brady, you, you, you have to look at what each individual circumstance was. And people just don't want to do that because it, it, if you really dig into it, it takes away from the point that they want to make, which is the dynasty was Tom. It wasn't Bill. And, uh, you know, anybody who's been around here for the last 20 years and has really paid attention knows that uh, that was pretty close to 50, 50. You know, maybe you want to give it to Tom right now, 41, 50, uh, 51, 49, go ahead. But, um, you know, uh, the, the evidence to find Bill's, uh, quote unquote genius is really not that hard to find, but there are a lot of people out there, particularly nationally right now, who 
uh, you know, want to want to get their vengeance on him. Yeah. And I think it's just a, a litmus test for, can you deal in nuance? Like all you're talking about is context. You know, Even if you like, want to, some people just don't want to, you know, right. And in my opinion, culture. Yeah. It, it's just not listening to you, but of course they have that platform and that's right. And you know, they're right. Or they take, you know, the things that I just mentioned, Bill kind of keep them in the dark, feed them shit. They take it personally, which look media for the most of us, we're not anything if not sensitive. And I get that because our work is, is public. You know, this is, you hear us on the radio, you see us on TV, you get a little bit vain and, and certainly not all immune to this. But at the end of the day, when, you know, whether it's that kind of treatment or, you know, access or whatever it might be, like if you don't take it personal and just look at the team and the context of what they're doing, the greatness is undeniable. And I think there's an appreciation. You mentioned Tommy Curran and Mike Reese. They're at the head of the line for this in terms of they have gone places and seen games and covered events and people and greatness that just they never otherwise would have had it not been for Belichick. And that's not a reason to either give him the benefit of the doubt or not. But again, it's an understanding of the position that you're in specific to this beat and the reason it's grown and the size and the way they've really developed an entire economy down there in Foxborough changed the <laughs> fabric of, of New England, forget just sports, is, is because of Belichick and the people that have been around that organization. So it's it's an interesting dynamic because I mentioned, I said 18 and 17, the record since Brady left is actually 17 and 17. And I'm curious whether you see this season as, as a potential turning point, maybe not for media, but media and or fans and the idea of in bill, we trust, because you said it earlier and you're right. He knows more about football and evaluation and all the tentacles that go out from, you know, a football operations building and department than any of us, but he's not infallible. A, yeah. Right. Right. If they go eight and nine, now you're talking about below 500 over three seasons, a decent sample without Tom Brady. Does that in bill we trust start to fade away with then no playoff wins in four years and you're, you know, say 17 and 17, that's 25 and 26. Yeah, I think it does a little bit. I mean, it depends what the particulars are, you know, does, does Mac regress? Does he throw 20 interceptions? Um, is he injured? You know? Yeah. Is he injured because the line isn't up to standard, uh, whether, uh, the, you know, somebody's hurt there and they, they, uh, the depth isn't what you want it to be, or you don't feel like the coaching is anywhere near what it was when Dante Scarnecchia, whatever, um, you know, all kinds of things could happen. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm pretty confident in feeling like that's not going to happen that, uh, as, as talented as Buffalo is and that what a loaded roster they have. And, you know, Miami's, uh, uh brought in big names like Tyreek Hill and, and, uh, uh, loaded up in their own way and the Jets seem to have a great draft and have some young talent on the roster. Um, I, I still feel like the Patriots are uh, going to be right there in the mix. Uh, if they're not, yeah, that's uh, you know, that's a prolonged stretch here now where they haven't been since Tom left. And uh, I think the questions uh, as, as long as they're the right questions and, and not ones that come from um, a, a basis of wanting to just see Bill fall on his face uh, it's fair to ask them, um, you know, something you mentioned before that, just talking about how, uh, how media, uh, how the reporters have seen all these things because of the Patriots and it's his own, own economy down there in Foxborough. I always find it as a media writer, I always find it really interesting when people acknowledge that like Curran does it all the time where he's, yeah. he's just, he remembers covering crappy teams or growing up around here and watching crappy teams. And, um, recognizing that a lot of the opportunities that come along for you as a reporter, uh, the Patriots carried you along that way. That doesn't mean you have to cover them in a certain way that you have to be, 
uh, referential to them. You can't question things, but I think it's good to acknowledge that. And I think Mike probably does it too. And, you know, I've heard other reporters that don't. I, I know, uh, I know Tom mentioned it to Greg Bedard once and, and Greg was like, nah, you know, uh, uh, this is all us, you know, we're, uh, our hard work is the reason that we get all these opportunities. And, um, that's part of it, but I think if you spent your career covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, probably some high high profile opportunities wouldn't have come along that have for so many of these uh, uh, Patriots reporters. And um, it's okay to acknowledge that you've been pretty fortunate in the team you've been able to cover for 20 years because uh, it's like covering the Niners in the 80s and the Steelers in the 70s combined with the success that they've had. Yeah, it just, look, it, it frankly enriches your career. And if your career is a significant portion enough of your life, it's enriching your life. You know, as much as we talk about the BS day to day or things that might happen, because that's just, you know, Belichick's larger attitude towards how to handle the media in terms of protecting the team. But I think it's an interesting line to strike. And like I said earlier, I think the tone that the beat collectively has struck, and it's so big that maybe categorizing our tone collectively is unfair because there are many diverse voices within that. Really are. Yeah, everybody is different. But by and large, I think we understand the thing that's going to carry us and carry you, particularly in this market, is good work. And there's so much Mm -hmm. of that being done, which is all to say, I think it's been a fair tone. But I was really interested to hear your perspective as someone who's been on the outside, but, you know, writes about media for a living to see what that is. And not any sort of validation of my feelings. If you disagree, I'm more than happy to hear that, because I'll tell you next month, I'm going through all of my work from the past year as I do every June. It's just a lot of self-flagellation of what I did wrong or could do better for next (laughs) season. But it's just, it's an interesting turning point. I think in terms of the media attitude and fan attitude towards the team and how this is evolving in light of the pandemic, Brady leaving. And now what does Belichick do? Not on his own. He's of course leaning on other players and coaches, but without the greatest player ever. Yeah. Well, my, my thinking uh, in, in terms of, um, from a columnist standpoint, and this applies to media too, is I want to be right. I don't yes. care about having a hot take. Uh, I know I'm supposed to care about clicks, but I think you can, um, if you're good enough and you put enough thought into things, you're going to get the audience even without having a headline like Belichick should be fired if the Patriots lose their first two games or something. Um, it's much easier to be the hot taker to get on sports radio in Boston, to uh, get attention of Felger and Maz or, uh, you know, Lou and Christian and, and Mego or whoever it happens to be. Um, it's much easier to get that attention uh, by uh, ha- having something that can be a talking point for a day, even if there's absolutely no, no basis in reality for it. You know, like the other day, this isn't a Patriots thing, but the other day, um, one of the hot talking points in the city was the, did Jason Tatum fake his injury to come out late in the game because he's playing so bad? That's stupid. Of course they didn't do that. But, you know, it keeps your phones ringing for, for a little while. Um, the harder thing to do, but the more fulfilling is to be uh, somebody who comes up with something interesting consistently or comes up with an angle or mines the data and finds, uh, you know, finds truths in there that aren't evident by just watching the game one time through. Um, and you get noticed that way too. I mean, it's happened with you. You're on the radio and TV, not because you're throwing out hot takes, but because you do the homework. Uh, and I know I just don't understand reporters who um, put more interest in getting attention for an opinion than they do in being able to look back at something they wrote and said, "Aha, I was right about this," even if it went against conventional wisdom. That's what I want to do as a columnist: is to see things. Um, 
to see things before they happen or to see things uh, that are shaping into a trend and to uh, have them bear fruit so that you look like you know what you're talking about and that the, your readers begin to trust you. You can admit when you're wrong. Um, you can be conversational with them. And to me, that's much more fulfilling and rewarding than it is to just throw out an opinion every day and then, uh, you know, like fast food and just have it be gone and, and be empty calories. That's the kind of stuff that sticks with you. And you have to produce that stuff on this beat, which again, I, you know, my opinion of our collective work is very high. There's room for improvement. Obviously, we're not perfect, but it's just an interesting dynamic where for so long, the storytelling revolved around Brady and Belichick, Brady and Belichick, we have one left now. And then when things don't go as well, how apt are you or willing to kind of push back? And I think so far there, there's been plenty of that, but sometimes it even goes too far, which is, which is why we started this podcast with a half hour of positivity or optimism, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things I think about uh, that it, there's a national perception that the Patriots are all buttoned up and uh, you're not going to get anything. But I think the opposite side of that is, um, you know, Belichick uh, has an affinity for a lot of different kind of players, but he, he, he has a type with the, uh, the captain types, the intelligent ones, the guys who are sort of natural leaders. And as a, um, you know, as a Patriots writer, you've got Devin McCourty there to lean on for 10 years. You've got Matthew Slater, uh, guys with this just incredible institutional knowledge now who are really good at putting things in, into context and perspective and probably will, you know, especially Devin, even more so once their careers are over and they can really, really tell you what they think about certain things. But um, I, I think that's one of the underrated benefits of covering the Patriots is you tend to get a really... Uh, uh, not everybody, but a, a pretty thoughtful group of players who have um, tremendous perspective on things. And it's not always the stars. The guys who have been here like that or are going to yeah. get red jackets. It's guys like, you know, Ted Karras is with Cincinnati now. But uh, people like that, that you can just say, hey, you know, what happened here on this particular play? And um, get your understanding elevated or um, get a little bit of context that maybe you didn't have before. And uh, I, I've always thought that was a real benefit of covering this particular organization is that uh, uh, you're going to run into some really interesting, thoughtful people in that locker room. Definitely. Yeah. I've had plenty of conversations that just never made print partly for the reason you mentioned of developing sources just takes a lot of BSing about TV or whatever, you know, things are going on with the family or holidays or travel and, uh, other times it's stuff that I just would have loved to have written, like Ted Karrasen mentioned, that I think is the number one aficionado when it comes to office trivia, the office. The show. <laughs> like, this guy can tell you the street address of where the office was or, or Roy's last name is Pam's ex-boyfriend. I'm just doing, God, I thought I was good at this. But stuff again, you just he's a highly intelligent guy. And those you, you just mostly have to be that way getting in that door. And it's a credit to, though no one should ever tell them, Bill, for bringing those guys in and making it more interesting for us, which, of course, um, I kid. And he'll do, you know, of course, media rarely one-on-one to the side, largely off the record. But Sally Jenkins, you know, had a column I remember from a couple of years ago after they won the Super Bowl. You know, he contributed to a story I wrote about him helping Navy football get back on its feet um, with a few quotes. And so there, there's opportunity there. It's just it's um, again, dealing in nuance. And that's how you survive here in New England publicly. And I think also just kind of behind closed doors. But let's close on some some fun uh, stuff. I, I got one more. Uh, a few years ago, well, it was, geez, it was a while ago now, probably six or seven years ago, but uh, I was working on a story for the Globe magazine on uh, Belichick being the greatest coach in sports history. Their their idea asked me to write it. I was like, sure. Um, I actually had him lined up to talk about it. And then I made just a grievous mistake, although I, I believed what I wrote in the column, but 
uh, I criticized him for sending that letter to Trump. <laughs> and I got a call the next day from from somebody you could probably guess saying, uh, Bill probably isn't going to be able to talk to you now. He doesn't doesn't want to do it. But uh, yeah, yeah. But that to your point, it, I was just reminded of that because of your, uh, you know, he'll talk to you off to the side. I remember people. I mean, I'm not around that often now, but I remember after you do his press conference after a game, if he wasn't in a miserable mood, um, you know, people just grab him off to the side to clarify something or um, Bedard when he was with us did it all the time. Yeah, no, I haven't seen that so much since I came aboard in, in 2018, but I know, you know, there's time and respect for what we do. Cause like I said earlier, you know, they comb through all their, all our stuff and he's understand what the tone is. So he understands, you know, how to address the players understanding they're going to catch this on TV or, you know, Twitter or whatever it might be and how to kind of handle the media as it were that week. So it's, it's all very involved, even if it's kind of the same front of, you know, I don't know who the player's caller is going to be. We'll, we'll get to it when we'll get to it or we're on to Cincinnati or whatever it is. Um, all right. Four quick hitters, four downs, a uh, very original topic and segment that I've done to close out here. I mentioned called you the pride of Maine to start. Um, be good. You, you drink beer, right? Sure. Yeah. Okay, Got a best, fridge right here. Excellent. <laughs> best beer in Maine. Go. Oh, best beer in Maine. I usually, um, I usually, uh, uh, drink Baxter. Um, which is what I have now, uh, any, pretty much anything from that brand, but, uh, um, yeah, I'll drink an IPA or whatever they have. It seems like there's something new in the, uh, in the refrigerator every week, but, uh, uh, we used to go up there to, uh, up to Acadia quite often, me and my wife before we had kids. So I, I started drinking that up there and, uh, it's been a staple ever since. You ever had any, uh, foundation? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's um, I'm trying to think of the one I had now and it just was on the tip of my tongue. I want to say uh, not equilibrium because that's another uh, brewery. So we're a sinking ship here. But anyway, enjoy foundation. And I've kind of like the, the further I get north, the more I'm enjoying the main beer. And they they call it not necessarily like a New England IPA, which, of course, it is. But they kind of specify it's a main IPA. Like it's a little bit more piney and kind of it's got potatoes know, in it, probably. Yeah. yeah a lobster. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. All right. Um, Chad, you seem like a guy who who watches a lot of good TV. I don't know what gives me that impression. You know, just maybe something you've tweeted. Better Call Saul is coming back. Give us a, a recent new show you've been watching as a recommendation for, for people this summer. I just finished uh, Succession. Uh, mm -hmm. I was on an Apple TV the uh, the other night. Uh, no, uh, Severance, not Succession. Succession, oh, okay. I figured like a month, month ago. That was great, too. But uh, Severance with Adam Scott, who was... Uh, uh, from Parks and Rec, completely different role now, mm -hmm. <laughs> to say the least. But uh, I really like that, and it has, it has a great cliffhanger for the second season, which it got picked up for. I actually haven't started watching this season of Better Call Saul yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to finish, what was it, season four first. I went back and rewatched like the last four episodes because I couldn't remember anything. Yeah. But uh, I heard last night's episode was pretty crazy. I don't know what the spoiler is on it, but uh, that's the next thing I'm diving into is this season. Yeah, I'm where you were. Got to finish season four and want to recap, which, you know, it, it, it all sounds like hard work, but somehow I can't remember mentally, anything anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And if the show's gone for two years, my kids are all fired up for Stranger Things coming back Friday. And I'm like, yeah, I think they were in Russia or something. They should probably get out of there now. You know? Yeah. Are they in college now or like what's, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah. Um, best game you ever covered. Oh, boy. Um. Probably has to be the Malcolm Butler Super Bowl uh, yeah. against the Seattle. I missed the interception because uh, I was uh, 
I was writing and you didn't know the outcome at that point, whether they were going to win or lose. So I got two files going Patriots break their drought Super Bowl uh, uh, Patriots uh, lose the Super Bowl again. And I'm sitting here on the keyboard typing and you just hear this roar that uh, immediately I thought that was not a Seattle just scored a touchdown roar. And you look up and, you know, he's running off the field and uh, uh, everybody in the press box was just like, is that Butler? Is that Malcolm Butler? And uh, of course, you find out, you know, later on all of uh, all the machinations that went into putting him in that particular situation. You know, that was a do your job documentary where they had the footage of him practicing that exact play. Uh, in the buildup to the Super Bowl, that'd probably be it. But I've been lucky to cover so many things. I actually um, can I stop you there though first, how, and I'll put this delicately. How much did it suck to miss Malcolm Butler's game-saving interception in the Super Bowl at the time? I thought it was fitting for me. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> I, I missed the line. So. This is a clear comparison. I was 13 and missed the uh, Janet Jackson wardrobe malfunction. Thought that was the worst thing to ever happen to me as a 13-year-old back oh, in boy. that Super Bowl. But obviously, it doesn't compare. Just kidding. But that's, wow. Yeah, the, uh, the Falcons one was pretty interesting because I was sitting next to Alex Spear, who's mm-hmm. our baseball writer, very analytically driven he was helping us out for with with Patriots coverage during those two weeks and uh um, I'm sitting next to him and it's what third what was it 28 to Mm 9 and uh Gustowski missed the extra point and I look at Alex and I'm like did they still have a chance and he said everything from here on out has to go right but yes they still have a chance and then everything from there on out went right from you know Hightower sack to on and on and on and uh, I'll just always remember that, that it was like he almost kind of willed it into existence where he said, yeah, everything has to go right. And then all of a sudden it just did. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, no, I covered the Bruins Stanley Cup win in Vancouver and uh, a couple of Red Sox World Series. I'm, I'm supposed to root for the story, right? I'm kind of hoping the, the, the Celtics uh, uh, reach their their peak of achievement this year because I've never covered an NBA finals and that. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm on the on the docket to go out to San Francisco if they end up playing the uh, Warriors in the finals. So I'm really hoping that happens. I, I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Yeah, look, I'm with you. I don't think I'd be going out to San Francisco, but as far as just the quality of the NBA finals, I think the Heat are a good team. Um, but if you want the two best teams in it, it's, it's going to be the Celtics and Golden State. So this last question, fourth down, has become a, a staple kind of thanks to Ted Johnson and then Christian Fourier, whom I asked, when was the last time you got a speeding ticket and did you get out of it because you were Ted Johnson and or later Christian Fourier? Oh, that's both funny. Of them, both of them said yes. Ted has a, quote, 60 to 70 percent rate of getting out of them. Christian says he has a full on plan for how to do this. Uh, the last time Chad that doesn't Finn, surprise me at all. <laughs> the last time Chad Finn got a speeding ticket, what happened? Uh, last time I remember getting pulled over, I got out of it and I was it was. Before I was even reporting, it's been a while. I guess wow. I drive the speed limit or don't go anywhere anymore. But uh, um, I got pulled over up here in Maine where I live. I was coming home from a night shift on the desk at the Globe, which is what I did there my first six years there. So it's probably like around 2009. It's been a long time, knock on wood. And uh, I got pulled over and I said, he the, the officer asked me you know where are you coming from what are you doing I said I just I'm getting home from work I just drove two hour and a half I, I work at the globe had the paper next to me uh, next morning's paper and he was like oh yeah you work at the globe at the department I said sports and he said what was the Bruins score and I 
I knew because I heard somebody else mention it, but you, when you work at a newspaper of the Global Herald size, you're not working on everything on a given night when you're on the desk. You're, uh, you have like the NBA focus, or you're editing all the Patriots stories or that sort of thing, or you're writing the headlines or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had nothing to do with the Bruins. <laughs> and I was like, I think it was 4-3. And he's like, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll let you go. But uh, yeah, that was that was the last time. I don't know when the last time I got a speeding ticket was. Probably right around when I first started at the Globe. So 20 years. Priuses don't go that fast. <laughs> yeah. All right. Or Hondas or whatever else we have in that driveway. Yeah. Good for you. All right. Uh, two mailbag questions. We'll get you out of here. Uh, first one, this was from at official truck. Uh, he wanted to know what Dietrich Wise's role is. My simple answer being a practice on Monday, he's playing the edge opposite, which would be Matt Judon. Um, he was dropping into coverage a few times, which is not particularly encouraging. But I think, honestly, it's going to be the same old, same old. They want to get a little juice from him on third down and just kind of hope he holds up well enough on first and second. Energy guy, good attitude guy, might get you a sack once in a while. Another fun person to talk to. Yeah. You know, plays plays within the rules of the media training. But um, he and I went 10 minutes on PB&Js, I think, my first year in 2018. He has all system. Good guy. Yeah. Cool. How's Bill feel about those kind of stories? Does he not care? Um, I mean, I wrote that during the year and then published it during the Super Bowl where even Brady has, it was like a graveyard of crust in the locker room and he had a specific, like, you know, <laughs> kind of jelly without obviously strawberries or any sort of sugars. Like they just all would house peanut butter and jellies before practice. And I just was like, I need to go around the locker room and ask a, because it was something that people would talk to then a new reporter they didn't know about, but also like how the hell do you get the whole locker room on, on board with PBJs? So um, I don't think he cared so much about that story, but it also just might've been lost in like just the, the, the ocean of content that comes out around the Super Bowl. Um, last question. You mentioned this, uh, indirectly or maybe directly earlier, how much this is from, um, Jake on Twitter. How much do you think Max new fitter physique will affect his play? Can't hurt. Right. I mean, yeah. uh, I don't know if pass rushers were bouncing off him a little bit more last year. I don't know. I mean, he just looks, uh, you know, he looks toned. He looks like uh, um, that he really committed to getting in better shape. And it's just more evidence that he's going to put the work in wherever he needs to to become a better quarterback. And that uh, um, there should be really uh, hopeful expectations of him in season two because he's doing what he needs to do to become better. And you know, he really did have a, a, a pretty darn good rookie year. Definitely. Yeah. Um... I think it would be hard to quantify this, right? Like we could go with scrambling yards, but that's going to be dependent on the offensive line and the blitz rate and all these different things. But, you know, I think, look, if he, if he scrambles for a couple third downs and converts some plays outside of structure, because the team is kind of currently built, right. as like a basketball team that's very good in the half court, but when you need to break someone down one-on-one lane, the shot clock, there's no one to really give the ball to. Yeah. He could break someone down on third down and get a couple extra, you know, yards because of this fitter physique that might happen i think that would be the biggest bonus otherwise i think he'll just be okay the other way to quantify this he'll be much better weeks 13 through 18 than he was a year ago which oh, that's a, was, yeah that's a good answer yeah might just yeah you're not a rookie anymore but that's what he was talking about when we last spoke with him as he trimmed down and now he's going to bulk up probably at another five ten pounds uh for training camp and stamina yeah take those hits so yeah, we'll see. I would say either third downs or, you know, check back in late July when we're all in the best shape of our lives, self not included. <laughs> um, and we can cover more than that. 
All right, Chad Finn of the Boston Globe, Boston.com. This is fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully bring you back and we'll just, you know, maybe we'll review uh, everyone else in June next year and we'll do some self-flagellation for, for myself, but uh, you can review the beat as a whole after the third season uh, here post Tom Brady, but I really appreciate your time. I'll just come on and we can uh, rip each other's stories. That's what we'll do. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that sounds good.